0: Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF, Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, hey, do it right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. Don't forget to also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. We have an excellent show lined up today. The first segment is going to be Back to Basics, Housebreaking. Yes, a continuation segment, back to basics. It's always important to practice the basics. We're going to touch on the do's and don'ts of housebreaking. Then we're going to have possessive issues. No, we're not going to have possessive issues. We're going to talk about possessive issues with your dog and how you can go about trying to start dealing with them. Not always the easiest thing. Then we're going to have the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. And hey, if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, dog-related, training-related, animal-related. Send it on over my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to just message me on social media, comment on a post. All good. Send it on over my way. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's trivia question is going to be, what is the closest living relative to the Tyrannosaurus Rex? Yes, what is the closest living relative to the T-Rex? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, back to basics. Housebreaking. Yes, this is a continuation of a series of segments here. Back to basics. Look, it's important to practice the basics, the foundational building blocks for training your dog. And what could be more basic, more foundational than housebreaking? Like Anybody ever had a puppy, you have dealt with this issue. Anybody that has a puppy, you're dealing with this issue. Or maybe you adopted an, you know, an older dog or an adult dog that has never been housebroken. So we're going to talk about housebreaking, the do's, the don'ts, uh, maybe some of the tips and secrets to get you on better track uh, for success. Nobody wants a dog peeing in their house, am I right? <laughs> Sometimes you get lucky, too. I mean, that's just how it is. Some dogs are smarter than others or just pick up on it faster than others or or maybe your puppy had a leg up because the rescue is doing a phenomenal job of, of getting them on the right track for housebreaking and so it made your life a little easier or a lot easier, maybe, uh, once you brought them home. So, you know, there's varying stages of this and let's just assume your dog stinks at housebreaking. <laughs> let's start there. Let's say we have a puppy And they're young, and they just cannot be housebroken, right? Yes, they can, first of all. Uh, Second of all, I I just want to say every dog's a little different. Okay, there are some generalized rules, you know, uh, rules of of thumb, rules of thumbs, rules of, sure. (laughs) Some generalized rules, how about that? We'll go with that one. Some generalized rules about housebreaking that we can sort of spread across the board. But every dog's a little different. Okay, every dog really is a little bit different. Some dogs just are going to take a little more time to housebreak. Some dogs have smaller bladders and therefore can't hold it as long. And it takes uh, being, you know, it takes the dog aging and getting older and getting bigger to be able to even physically hold it, right? So every dog is going to be a little different, but there are those generalized consistencies. So we have a small dog, right? Let's say we have a small dog. They don't know how to be housebroken. There's a couple things we want to know. Okay, the first thing is P-PATs. Pee P-PATs. Pee Let's get rid of them, guys. It's not that there aren't uh, certain circumstances where a pee pad can be warranted, but I'm here to tell you that vast majority of you out there, you don't need the pee pads. Look, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I spend a ton of money on my dogs. You know, <laughs> like, I spend a ton of money on my dogs, and ideally, I'd like to keep the same amount of happiness, same amount of training, and spend less. I mean, wouldn't you? So pee pads are one of those things. When you've got a puppy, I mean, expenses out the wazoo, am I right? You've got, you've got crates, treats, toys, bedding, leash collar. You got to get the fancy ones that look cool. And you know, (laughs) how about the vet, veterinary care, uh, food, all these things that are just ridiculous upfront costs with a puppy. Puppies are not cheap, right? So if there's one thing you can take away right there, cost-wise, get rid of the pee pads, guys. I mean, I'll be honest, I've never used them, so I can't even speak to experience about how often you're going to be going through them because literally, I I don't use them. That's I, I won't, not going to, no need. Um, <laughs> okay, so I can't even imagine what someone must spend on pee pads in a week. I mean, just great. Look, again, I'm just gonna say, there are certain circumstances where a pee pad can be warranted. We're not gonna really get into depth on that. Uh, there's just no reason to go there today. Suffice I to say, just... Don't use the pee pads. Look guys, you're making it confusing for your dog. That's, you know, it's you're, you're making it really confusing. If you're trying to teach your dog to go outside and you want them to pee outside and associate that, but you're also telling them, hey, here's this nice little spot to go in the house and I'm gonna reward you when you go on the spot inside the house. So you're rewarding them for going outside and you're rewarding them for going inside. Do you see how that could maybe create some confusion? right with a puppy with a dog so pee pads are not only a waste of money they're a variable that's unneeded and it's only going to create more confusion okay i know i can hear people like ah, that david i've had success with that that's wonderful you don't need them guys what did we do before pee pads that's the question I posed, I posed to people. What did we do before pee pads? There was a time. <laughs> there was a time before pee pads. What did people do before? They trained their dogs better. That's what they did. Oof, truth bomb. Sorry. Um, <laughs> look, it's, I just, it It really, it's, it, I, don't, I don't know why people can't like take that perspective and go, wait, once upon a time, there was no such thing as a pee pad. And as a matter of fact, pee pads are like a relatively new phenomenon. So, for thousands of years, we didn't have pee pads and we've been just fine. I think we can get along well without them still. Um, so get rid of the pee pads. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. guys. (laughs) Okay. The next thing is consistency. You do need to create a somewhat consistent routine for your puppy, especially when they're young. When they're really young, we want to be very consistent. As they age, we can sort of roll some of that I mean, I don't want to call it necessarily obsessive consistency, but yeah, obsessive consistency. We can roll that back a little bit. And as a matter of fact, that's what's going to help teach our dog flexibility with being able to hold it. Okay. So what I mean by this is when we do have a young puppy, yes, it is important that you try to go out around the same time every morning, same time every night before you go to bed to create that pattern and routine of them starting to recognize and understand, oh, my bladder fills up. I go outside. I relieve myself. And that same timing of it uh, comes into play with that said. Same timing with feeding as well. You know, we don't wanna just create consistency for feeding for digestive reasons. It's also for housebreaking reasons, right? So if I feed my dog at like 10 o'clock at night and they're a young puppy, guess who's gonna have to go really badly in the middle of the night, you know? But if you can feed your dog earlier in the evening, then they'll have to go before you go to bed and then they relieve themselves fully before they go to sleep, okay? So creating a routine, not only in the bathroom schedule itself, but a feeding schedule too is very important. Now food, we're gonna talk about food, but what about water? What about water? Look, housebreaking really is about controlling uh, input and output, intake and output, okay? The amount of food and water that they're having and the amount of food and water that they are displacing, right, that that's exiting them. And so the more you can control that, the better. So I'm not saying withhold water. That's not by any means what I am saying. But what I will say is puppies will over drink like you wouldn't believe. A lot of times it's out of boredom, you know, uh, sometimes they're just making fun, but they will over drink and they will drink and drink and drink and, drink and drink and drink and drink to the point that their bladder will become so full that they physically cannot hold it. Now, it's really hard to teach a dog to hold their bladder if they physically can't do it. You know, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure if you let your dog drink an entire giant bowl of water and they're only 11 pounds, you know. Now, look, if you've, if you've been outside and you've been uh, walking or playing outside and it's hot and clearly your dog is thirsty, God, you let him drink. But then you need to be aware that within the next, well, 20, 30 minutes on a puppy that that's little, 20, 30 minutes you need to be taking him outside ready to use the bathroom again. Okay, that consistency. So you can see what I'm really saying here. There's a couple examples, whether we're waking up and taking them at the same time, going to bed and taking them at the same time, feeding them at the same time, or making sure we're creating a consistency in how much water we let them have and knowing how much water they've had, knowing when they would need to relieve themselves. Consistency in a routine. Really important stuff there, okay? Now, excuse me. (laughs) With that said, uh, how about we talk more about when we take our dogs out. What does that actually look like? Because this is very important too. How you take your dog outside is going to determine whether they make the connection with outside is where I need to go. You know what I am mean? You know? So when we take our dogs outside for housebreaking purposes, guys, they got to be leashed up. Puppies. Puppies have to be leashed up when we're taking them outside to try to teach them to relieve themselves, to teach them to housebreak, okay? The leash is important because you don't want your dog just going out into the yard and kind of sniffing around. They're going to get distracted. They're going to forget why they're there, and it's going to be a free-for-all. But if you leash them up and they get distracted, you have the ability to reel in that focus and go, hey, redirect them with a little correction maybe, not correction, but redirection, uh, with the collar, and get them moving again. Get that nose going again, so we're actually creating um, that moment to try to be. Now, one little tip I always give when we take our dogs out on leash, you can actually, with puppies, you can, older dogs too, it doesn't really matter, but especially with a puppy, you can create that figure eight motion. Literally use the leash to guide them into that circling figure eight motion and it mentally kind of engages them into that pee mode. You know what I'm talking, dog owners, come on guys, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, <laughs> create that physical turning and it sends them into it. It's really cool. If you're consistent enough with it, uh, you can actually get your dog to go to the bathroom relatively easily, you know? Now, you can say go pee. I don't have a problem with that, but I don't want it to be this obsessive like go pee, go pee, go pee, go pee, go pee, go <laughs> pee. Let's, let's, hey, go pee. Give them a little while, guys. Let them process. Let them try to go, you know, and then wait. And then if they're getting a little distracted again, redirect and go, hey, go pee. Try it again. Wait. Let them process. Let them think. Then once they finally do go, I like to wait until they're completely done, then follow it up with a good boy, good girl. Okay. Because the problem is, if you start to say good boy, good girl right as they're going, they may get distracted and stop going, you know. Uh, So, kind of an important detail right there. Wait till they've completed before you really start reinforcing it. Some dogs can handle it and you can just go, hey, good boy, right? And then once they're done, make a bigger deal about it. Um, But a lot of times it's good to wait till they're completed. Now, next part of that, giving reinforcement, praise is wonderful, good boy, good girl is awesome and all, but it's gotta be a treat. We have to have a treat as well. Very important detail here, guys. Write this one down if you don't take anything else away from housebreaking. You must, you absolutely must have a treat with you. So that way the second your dog is done going to the bathroom, boom, treat right in their face. Reinforcing it with food, praise, and affection all at the same time. The treat cannot be 30 seconds later once you go back inside. It has to be right away. Look, dogs, really you really only have about roughly 10 seconds for your dog to be able to make a connection to what just happened and the reinforcement that follows. Okay, after that 10 seconds, it's, it's, it's gone, like gone, forget it. So that's why the treat has to be outside with you, ready to go, ready to reinforce and strengthen that behavior. Food, guys, you must have food to strengthen the behavior of housebreaking. It is so vital to your success. I cannot stress it enough. I cannot stress it enough, okay? Um, look, look, food is what we call primary reinforcement, right? Uh, primary reinforcement, things your dog can't live without. Your dog can't live without food, therefore, that is a form of primary reinforcement. Affection, love, look, it's all good, it's great stuff. People don't like to always hear this, but the reality is affection is what we call secondary reinforcement. Can your dog live without affection and survive? Yeah. I'd rather give them the affection too. Um, But, you know, they can survive without it. Therefore, it's secondary. Primary reinforcement is always going to speak louder, going to speak volumes above secondary reinforcement. It's nature, it's instinct, it's survival. So, yeah, going back to housebreaking, instinct, survival, believe it or not, that comes into play where the treat is going to be more important than your affection in that moment. Okay, this is why we have to use food for training, guys. It's it's how we all learn. Look, you go out and you go to your job every day because you need money. Why do you need money? Food, shelter, you know, <laughs> to be able to survive. So we're no different. We're a little more complicated, but at the end of the day, we're very basic in the same way a dog is. Isn't that crazy? Um, so yeah, yeah. You've got to have that treat there when they use the bathroom. So important. So 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 important. Now. Let's say you went outside and your dog didn't go. Frustrating, isn't it? (laughs) But here's the tough part. When you bring them back inside, you really only have a handful of options at this point, guys. You really do. Your option is to put your puppy back in the crate if you can't keep an eye on them. Second option, you better keep a close eye on them. Or a third option, you leash them up to your side. Okay, so that way you can't let them out of your sight. Those are your only three options because here's what's going to happen. If you put them in the crate, you're going to wait 20, 30 minutes and then leash them up and take them outside and try again. Okay. If, they're, if you're watching them or they're leashed up to you, you're going to watch for the signals that your dog needs to go again. Whether that be starting to sniff a little obsessively on the ground, maybe start to circle a little bit and sniff inside, a little bit of antsiness, maybe they start whining a little bit beautiful by the way if they start whining a little bit like ideally you know you don't want your dog to whine but if you're teaching them to go outside and they whine a little bit you can actually look at them and go hey do you need to go outside put a little perk up to it and and then go hey let's go outside take them and start associating that yeah I used to Penny Lane was awesome at that you'd go to she'd kind of come over to you it was rare she was really good about holding it but occasionally hey she really needed to go um she'd come over and kind of hmm just a little whine at you. And you look at her, you go, hey, you need to go outside. She'd give it a little boof of confirmation, walk over to the door, boom, outside. It's awesome. Um, So you can start to associate that um, with going outside and going to the bathroom, okay? So again, you have to control these things. If your dog doesn't go and you take them out, when you bring them back inside, you either have to control them and watch them or put them in a crate if you can't keep an eye on them and try again in 20 or 30 minutes, okay? This is how we housebreak, Boundary and reward, you know? Now let's talk about what happens when your dog has the horrible accident inside. It's inevitable. It's going to happen if you have a puppy. Hell, if you have an, any an, any dog that is not housebroken, guys, I'm telling you right now, at some point you're gonna have an accident in your home. I, I know, I, I don't wanna have I don't want dogs to have accidents in my home either, but it's going to happen. First thing we need to talk about is cleanup. Make sure you're using a proper cleaner to clean up the mess, okay? There, is, there are, like, Windex is not gonna do the trick, I'll be honest. Yes, it cleans it up, it does, and it can do even disinfecting Windex, and that's wonderful. But we need something that's actually going to break down the chemical composition of the smell, the scent of it, because as we all know, dogs' noses are incredibly strong. And if we don't use the right cleaner, they can still smell it. If they can still smell it, they're more likely to wanna go and use that spot again. Okay. So really important. The cleanup is a big part of housebreaking. It's very important to get up. my favorite product, nature's miracle. Everybody knows it. It's good stuff. Uh, I really like nature's miracle because quite frankly, it works It's that simple. Um, so feel free to use any great cleaner, but that's, that's my go-to. Um, so yeah, cleanup is number one. Number two, I want to dispel this, 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 I guess it's a little more old school of a, of a theory that people like to do. Do not take your dog's nose and shove it in the pee and tell them, no, It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, As a matter of fact, you don't want to get upset at your dog. Let's just just clump this in together. Uh, You don't want to get upset at your dog when they go to the bathroom. Kind of hard, especially if you catch them in the act. You're like, oh my God, no, 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 no. (laughs) I get it. But try not to get upset. Try not to get angry because what ends up happening is your dog is going to pick up on that and go, "Eh, boy, they get really upset and yell at me. I'm just going to work to avoid them and I'm going to go try to hide it and pee in a corner. It's not going to stop the peeing. It's just going to get them to try to hide it from you. And quite frankly, it's kind of the opposite of what we want. We want our dogs to tell us they need to go to the bathroom. So it's very important, guys. Try not to freak out. If you do catch your puppy in the act, let's talk about that. If you do catch your puppy in the act, obviously we talked about what not to do. What do you do? You want to pick up your puppy as fast as you can, get them outside as fast as you can, and set them down in the grass and try to get them to go again. That's really about all you can do if you catch them in the act, okay? Again, you don't want to make a big deal, and then if they do go outside, that's when you make a big deal. That's when you say it's awesome and good job, okay? Um, but yeah, catching them in the act, there's not a whole lot you can do. It's just not a whole lot you can do. You don't want to punish it because it's, they're just going to hide it. It's a biological thing. You know, you have to remember, it's not really behavioral. Well, it can be, <laughs> but for puppies, it's not behavioral. It's just biological, your dog doesn't understand house, outside the house, uh, pillow, not a pillow, blanket, not a play. Dogs do tend to go to softer things because it absorbs it, right? Uh, they don't want to make a mess. People, I get that question a lot where people go, hey, why does my dog pee on the mats in my bathroom only? Why does my dog only pee on the nice oriental rug we have? Why does my... Because they're trying to not make a mess, you know? Uh, and, and obviously a soft thing is going to absorb it, similar to grass, dirt, right? So they're trying not to make a mess and that's the whole point. So again... It's biological, you can't fight it. You can only work with it. That's why it's important that you reinforce and and strengthen when they do go outside and you redirect when they go in the house. That's about all you can do. You can't punish it, okay? Um, So, all right, we've talked about puppies, right? It's about setting yourself up for success, creating a good routine with your feeding routine and your taking them out routine. It's all about creating good success with your routine on how much you let them eat and drink, knowing how much they've eaten and drinking, uh, drank and being able to work your pee and poop schedule around that, right? Knowing it's been up. Oh, it's been an hour since my dog ate. They're going to need to poop. Okay? knowing those things get to know your dog learn their patterns understand their behaviors look when my client dogs come in I know I start to learn up oh, this puppy poops twice every morning uh, once again usually sometime after three o'clock and hey sometimes you get the four poopers and the once before bed <laughs> that was Riker Riker was like the six pooper he was crazy pooper <laughs> anyway only had a dog podcast we're gonna talk maybe a baby podcast you <laughs> we'll talk about poop like this next that's not the podcast that I want to listen to um all right so like I said, creating that good routine, not just with taking them out, but the feeding, the drinking as well. You also want to set them up for success by making sure you leash up your dog every time you take them out until they are fully housebroken. Really important to be able to guide and direct their focus, making sure you're doing that little circle, putting them in a little figure eights, a little secret tip, getting them to go into that pee mode. And of course, most importantly, guys, reinforcing with a treat outside right after they complete and finish going to the bathroom. Don't wait till you go back inside, right? Okay, Uh, then we talk about what to do if they don't go outside. We're gonna bring them back inside if they don't go when we need them to. We bring them back in, we don't let them out of our sight, we keep them tethered, we look for the signs that they need to go, and we try again. Rinse and repeat, guys, that's what it's all about. Creating consistency and rinsing and repeating. There is no magical one secret to housebreaking. There really isn't. Okay. It's all about hitting it from like six different angles and it's all that time and work added up. That's really, truly how you housebreak break your dog. Now for older dogs, you know, the, really the thing you got to take into consideration most, most more than anything is the fact that their bladders are going to be a lot bigger. Their ability to hold it should be longer, but you have to create the same constructs, the same barriers in order to create, create the consistency. Look, I adopted a dog who was, um, it was about what, like nine, nine and a half when I adopted him. He had never been housebroken in his life. Did not know to hold it necessarily. I mean, he would, but he wouldn't. You know, and then it wasn't, it wasn't that he was older. Uh, had nothing to do with his age, that he physically couldn't do it. It was that behaviorally he'd never been taught to. Now, it took me three months. It took me three months to housebreak him, but we did it. And after three months, that dog would he'd hold it 12 hours in the house if he if he you know, wanted him to. Uh, he was awesome. He was awesome, all because I went back to basics. I went back to rewarding him outside. He went in a crate when I wasn't home. Speaking of, we didn't talk about that, Um, which, you know, I mean, we, we briefly did. But that's important, guys, even for our older dogs. Okay, puppies have talked about it enough that you guys know I believe in crate training puppies. But you also should be crate training adult rescue dogs as well. When Captain Nemo came into our home, he went right into a crate. He was an adult dog, but he started in a crate. That's where it has to begin. Okay. And for housebreaking, the crate is such an important tool. All right. So knowing just how to adapt uh, some of these things to some of these techniques to an adult dog is really how we get this done. But at the end of the day, it's the same stuff. We're going to do it the same way. You can have a little higher expectations for the amount of time your dog can hold it uh, when they're older, but it's all the same stuff. Now, one more little note I want to make here. Guys, stop taking your dogs out every hour on the hour and go, my dog can't hold it. No, you've actually physically taught your dog to not hold it, (laughs) okay? This is all just conditioning. It's all what you strengthen. If the behavior you strengthen is every hour we go out, guess what your dog is going to think they need to do? Go out every hour. Puppy, adult dog, doesn't matter. Okay, We actually had an awesome uh, listener Q&A question that was sent in recently about this, and that was just it. From what I was reading and hearing from him, uh, his girlfriend had inadvertently created this pattern where the dog was expecting to go out like every few hours and in the middle of the night, like a couple times a night, you know, crazy. Uh, But it's the pattern that was strengthened and created, all right? So it's all what you create. Don't take your dog out every hour on the hour. It's not what you want to do. If you want to teach him to hold it, you got to teach him to hold it. It's that simple, all right? Housebreaking isn't, um, it's something we have to hit from a couple angles, but it's not this rocket science thing. Keep it simple, go back to basics, and you'll have plenty of success with housebreaking your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Dogcast possessive issues. Yes, whatever you want to label this as, there's a lot of labels being thrown around on this stuff. Uh, But look, dogs can be possessive over a lot of things, whether it's toys or food, a person, maybe a piece of furniture, maybe a certain room in the house, maybe a car. I mean, I've seen dogs get possessive over a lot of crazy things. And you know it, it stems. This these possessive tendencies stem from a couple things. A lot of times, not always. Um, you know, sometimes I do feel I, I've seen dogs that potentially were the runt of their of the litter, and in doing so, a, a runt has to usually fight more for the food and to be you know, get get things, and so that can create possessive tendencies even in the first few weeks of the pup's life. You know, crazy, but yeah. Uh, but majority of possessive issues. I mean, look, majority of behavioral issues with dogs stem from the human. You guys already know this, most of you. I don't have to tell you that. You already know it. It's not the dog, it's the human, okay? And these possessive issues really do, most of the time, stem from the human either doing something they shouldn't have or, more often than not, not doing something they should have. So what do I mean by this? I mean, structure, rules, boundaries, discipline, yeah. A lot of those things, all those things, rather, um, really help contribute to preventing possessive issues. Now, there are certain exercises we can go through when dogs are young puppies to try to really help head off some of these possessive issues, uh, you know, teaching teaching your dog to surrender a toy to you, being able to take it away, practicing taking a food bowl away, giving it back, uh, making your dog understand it's not a big deal when the food disappears, These are all ways we can prevent our dog, puppies, you know, it's easier with puppies, of course, um, prevent these issues from happening. But what happens when they do? You know, what happens when possessive issues do come up? The first thing is, I got to be honest, guys, I do. This is not always pretty stuff, and it's not always easy stuff to solve. And so if you're really questioning your ability, your knowledge on the subject, please reach out to a professional, please, because possessive issues can sometimes mean Aggression can sometimes mean someone getting bit, okay? I know we all like to think of dogs as these cute, fuzzy little things that we love and play with, and that's all fun and true, but they're still dogs, guys. They have the potential to harm somebody, even little dogs, okay? So again, if you're really questioning, if you just don't know what to do, and maybe this segment just isn't enough information uh, to get you where you need to be, because maybe your case is more severe, please Please, guys, reach out to a professional. It's very important, all right. Um, So possessive issues are not easy to solve necessarily. They they really are not necessarily the most easy thing to solve. Now, I, I had a dog who they were they were. They became possessive over their grooming tools, (laughs) or should I say the person's grooming tools that they used to use, because they didn't want to be groomed. They were a controlling dog in general and they had possessive tendencies left and right, and one of them even happened to be getting possessive over the hairbrushes. So I'll give you an example of how we solved this. The dog didn't even like to be brushed and then would get possessive over the brush uh, once the brush was surrendered. I leashed up the dog, okay? And safely. And luckily it was a medium, small, medium dog. I mean, it could have caused some damage. I mean, honestly, you know, it could hurt somebody. It could have hurt me. It could have hurt my hand. And so what we do is we leash up the dog, okay, using a martingale collar. Uh, we leash up the dog and I put just enough tension on the leash pulling forward that if the dog decides to turn around and try to bite me as I'm brushing, she couldn't get to me, okay? And so that's what I do. I pull the leash and collar just tight enough, just tight enough that it's not going to, you know, it's not not joking, but it's just tight enough that if she decides to turn around and try to knit me, which she inevitably did multiple times, she can't get to me, okay? And I start to brush, and then once she finally realizes after enough tries, this isn't working for me, she started to give up. Once she started to give up and let me brush her, well, then I gave her a treat, okay? So, For a moment, let's go back to our basics in psychology, okay? In order to get the behavior of her nipping me and biting me, in order to get that behavior to decrease by the rules of psychology, I have to apply some form of punishment or consequence. What's the definition of punishment, guys? Anything an animal works to avoid. Sometimes just not letting the animal, the dog, uh, sometimes just not letting them accomplish what they're looking, seeking out to accomplish, just not letting them succeed can be a form of punishment. In this scenario, it was. In this scenario, just not letting her succeed in biting me, she learned, well, this isn't working. Okay, in the past, this dog had bit people, and then they stopped brushing her. What she learned is, I try to bite this guy, and the brushing doesn't stop. This isn't working for me. And she stopped trying to bite me. Providing a punishment right? That's a punishment by definition. Providing a punishment got that behavior to decrease. Notice I'm not bribing her to try to stop biting me. I'm not putting food in her mouth and brushing her. I'm not doing that because I got news for you. You're going to lose your hand if you do that. Okay. (laughs) You can't reward when the dog is anxious and upset. You can't reward when the dog is clearly trying to turn and bite me. That's not the time to bring in treats. Instead, I wait until the dog is calm and relaxed, and then I bring the food in. So we can sort of take this example and start applying it to any other possessive issues we have. If a dog gets possessive over a certain toy, okay, very carefully, (laughs) you're going to take the toy. You're going to leash up your dog first, of course, and then you're going to take the toy and bring it in. Now... This is, this is a generalized example, guys. Every dog's a little different, and again, this is why I'm going to give that disclaimer of please reach out to a professional if you really are unsure, because there are ways to do this safely. There's ways to do this that are not safe, and I don't want you to do it the latter. I would like you to be safe, please, okay? Um, but basically, you have to leash up the dog and take the toy and try to get them to relinquish the toy, Okay? That's, that's the reality. Like I don't even, you know, and to be honest, I don't want to go too in depth on this because this isn't like a black and white thing that it's just, Hey, do A, B and C, you oh, know, boom, deal happened. You know, it's just not going to work that easily. And the more I'm thinking about this the more I'm going, eh, you know, easier said than done. Let's not do this over audio. <laughs> what I will say though, is at the end of the day, you have to run your dog through this. You have to get them to relinquish the toy. And once they do you, then you reward it. That passive behavior of giving up on the thing they're possessive on is what needs to be rewarded. Now, when it gets to be the possessiveness of a person, it gets trickier, too. I mean, this is why we can't just, you notice I can't just hand you a handbook right now. This is more what I really wanted to get to today in this segment, is that possessive issues are not necessarily black and white. They're not necessarily solvable overnight. I rhymed. Dr. Seuss here. (laughs) Okay, but seriously, I know I joke a little bit, but this is this is a serious topic. I don't want you all to mess around with this possessive stuff and let these behaviors keep happening. I want you to solve them. Not to mention, your dog is anxious. That's what your dog is telling you. They have anxiety over this thing. I don't want your dog to feel anxious. I hope you don't want your dog to feel anxious too. So the thing is with dog training, you have to find these moments where the bad behaviors happen. You have to set them up and recreate them, believe it or not. Then you have to teach your dog to not do that behavior, right? To show them it doesn't work for them to be possessive and then reward once they give up on it. Not always the easiest thing. Not always black and white, okay? I know this is sort of a tough topic because it's something we can solve, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing to solve over the podcast. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you guys, okay? But again, you know, there are safe ways to do this. Look, I mean, I know you can use a bite glove. You can use even using like a tennis racket. Uh, Any of you guys have ever watched TV? You've probably seen some dog trainers out there who bring in a tennis racket. Okay, so at least they are not getting bit. The tennis racket is or maybe a fake arm, um, as I've seen one of the dog trainers do on TV before uh, to try to teach the animal to leave it alone. Okay, but leashing up is going to be your best friend when it comes to possessive issues, because at least you're going to manage some level of control. Okay, it's all about leashing up the dog and being able to guide and direct. Okay, Um, and and timing, timing, knowing when to give a treat, knowing when not to give a treat, knowing when to redirect, when not to redirect. Okay, it's very important details that go into uh, solving possessive issues. But again, Call a professional, guys. Just be an honest. <laughs> Get out there and work with a professional on this one because possessive issues are not necessarily easy to solve. So be careful out there, be smart, and always hire a professional when in doubt. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on The First Pets, we'll be talking about John Adams. John Adams was the second president of the United States, serving from 1797 to 1801. Now, the pets of John Adams and his wife, Abigail, have the distinguished honor of being the first pets to ever live in the White House. In fact, John Adams might have been the second president, but he was the first president to live in the White House. Now, there is evidence that suggests there were multiple mixed-breed dogs that lived in the White House over John Adams' presidency. Two of these dogs that we know of are Juno and Satan. (laughs) Now, there's no account as to how Satan got his name, but it would seem that John Adams at least maybe had a good sense of humor. Abigail, she was especially fond of Juno, though. I mean, maybe that's why they named him Satan. They didn't like him. I don't know. Uh (laughs) writing about her in a letter to her granddaughter. Now, she said that the dog appears to enjoy life and be grateful for the attention paid her. She wags her tail and announces a visitor whenever one appears. John Adams also brought horses with him to the White House, and in fact, he built the first stables there. Now, he had a pair of carriage horses that were the president's favorite, Cleopatra and Caesar. Now, these were also the two horses pulling his carriage on his inauguration day. only five months after living in the White House, Adams lost his re-election bid to Thomas Jefferson. While the dogs made their way home to Massachusetts, the horses remained back at the White House. Now, Adams actually had penned a letter to Thomas Jefferson stating, "'Sir, in order to save you the trouble and expense of purchasing horses and carriages, which will not be necessary, I have to inform you that I shall leave in the stables of the United States seven horses and two carriages, with harness the property of the United States.'" These may not be suitable for you, but they will certainly save you a considerable expense as they belong to the stud of the president's household. I have the honor to be with great respect, sir, your most obedient and humble servant. This is the exact letter he penned to him. Uh, And however, this time in the presidency, the political party was changing hands. Yes, first time in the U.S. presidency, the, uh, the, the political party changed. And as a Republican rather than a Federalist, Jefferson sought to simplify life at the White House and do away with the pomp and circumstance. There would be no parades, no excessive celebrations, and Jefferson immediately sold the horses and carriages to minimize spending. Something our government today might not know anything about. It's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jen from Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. Jen says, I have a chocolate lab, Nelly, who I am still crating because she has some anxiety when I leave. However, she tears up beds that I put in the crate, but not every time. And if I don't put the bed in there, then she's getting even more antsy. What can I do to get her over this? All right. Well, Jen, I can tell you right now, you're probably not exercising your dog enough. Now, if I'm hearing that sometimes the bed gets torn up, sometimes the bed doesn't, see if there's a correlation, you know, see if there's a correlation to when you're exercising uh, your dog and when you're not exercising Nellie, you know, because if it's when you're not exercising her, that that's when she's destroying the bed, then that's telling you right there she's not getting enough exercise and she's becoming frustrated. Now, the second part of it is the separation anxiety. Um, You know, look, separation anxiety can take time, but... A couple of little notes you can do is don't make a big deal when you're leaving. You know, when you're going to leave the house, don't make a big deal. If you have a routine that you do, try to break up the monotony of your routine. Uh, another thing you can do is also grab your keys a lot when you're not leaving. Desensitize your dog. Desensitize Nelly to the whole almost excitement of you leaving because that can actually create the anxiety. So just pick up your keys and jingle them and set them back in the key basket by the door maybe, you know, it's like that's what we have, um, and then walk away. Now, you may work your dog up a little bit, but then she'll learn to relax, okay? Same thing with the leash and collar, maybe. Grab the leash and collar, hang them back up, walk away. Desensitize your dog to these noises to uh, create less excitement in that you're leaving or in that you're going for a walk and taking her, okay? Uh, Because that really can help alleviate a lot of that separation anxiety. But look, I'll be honest, when it comes down to it with separation anxiety, you need to have a tired dog. Okay. A tired dog is a happy dog. (laughs) Number one, a happy owner too. Uh, but no, a tired dog has less energy to be anxious. You know, if they don't have the energy to be anxious, they're kind of like, ah, you're leaving. Yeah. I don't really care. I'm just going to stay passed out over here in my crate. You know? So a tired dog is going to be a lot less of an anxious dog. So I can't stress it enough. You have to walk, you know, you look, you have a chocolate lab, you know, you got to know the dog that you have. You've got a retriever, you've got a chocolate lab and your dog is almost telling you, Hey, I need to be exercised more, you know? I mean, obviously she's not telling you that, right? Uh, But yeah, she's kind of screaming at you that she needs some more stimulation, some more exercise. Maybe your dog isn't getting enough socialization. I mean, I don't know, but that could be a part of it. Uh, If we're not getting a well-rounded mental and physical kind of regimen going, that's gonna contribute to your problem. So I think I'm kind of, I'm just dissecting from this. I'm gonna guess that there's probably a correlation to that exercise and tearing up the bed And if you up the exercise, up the routine, up the uh, mental exercise, it's going to go a long way toward alleviating some of this anxiety you're experiencing. Next question. This comes from Simi from Chicago, Illinois. Simmy says, my dog is bad when people come over. She barks and growls and will not stop. I have to put her in another room when I have friends over, but most of the time, she'll still bark from the bedroom. She's a and about a year old. She's never tried to bite anybody, preferring to keep her distance and just bark and growl. Any suggestions? Good questions, uh, Simmy. Yeah, you know, look, this kind of pertains to our segment today about possessiveness because your dog's probably a little bit possessive over your home. That's where this is coming into play. So we have to get rid of that possessiveness. So if we don't leash up our dog, there's the first thing. It kind of sounds to me like you're probably not leashing your dog up when people come over and you have to be able to try to control that focus, okay? Um, so that's the first thing. When people come up, before you even open the door, before you even let them in, you need to leash your dog up, okay? Second thing is you need to, your friends are coming over, so your friends. Hopefully, they'll listen to you. Um, but you got to ask your friends to ignore your dog. I know this is tough because people want to try to reason. People want to try to make the dog feel better. It's only going to make it worse. Okay, you can't reason with a dog. So you got to tell your friends to ignore your pup and just pretend like she's not even there. Just pretend like your dog doesn't exist is what you need to tell your friends. Okay, that's going to help too because... People inadvertently challenge dogs, and they don't even realize it. Uh, but when your dog's already challenging them, and then they're trying to, it's okay. Blah blah blah. They don't realize they're actually making that dog more anxious. And you're almost presenting a challenge. You know, the people, your friends, are presenting a challenge to the dog, and your dog needs it needs thinks it needs to come back more. Um, so that's that's the, those are the first two tips you really got to take. Leash up your dog when people come over and try to control her focus. And the second thing is get people to ignore her. Now, if your dog is food motivated. Ideally, what you wanna to try to do is leash her up and try to go get her attention, call her name, ask her for a sit. If you can get a sit even for a split second, reward it. If she goes right back to barking and growling, that's fine, we'll deal with it. Try to redirect it again, get her to sit, look up at you. Okay. The whole thing we're trying to teach her is, look, ignore those people over there and pay attention to me, food comes your way. Giving up on growling at those people gets you something, okay? Kind of easier said than done. You have a min pin, could be a little bit, uh, you know, fast. (laughs) You're gonna have to be quick with your decision-making and your rewarding and your redirections, okay? Um, But that's one of the best ways to start to try to lay a foundation with it uh, is to try to get them to just very basic, get them giving up on the people a bit and reward when they do, okay? Not always cut and dry and easy. But the other thing I'll say is one more little tip I wanna give you, exercise your dog before people come over. If you know people are coming over, you got friends coming to hang out, Exercise your dog like double or triple what you normally do, okay? Get her tired. Once again, kind of with that first uh, question I had today, a tired dog has less energy to be anxious, okay? And this obviously is an anxiety over people coming in your home, okay? So get her nice and tired. Go for a good structured pack walk. Get her tired. Come back. Leash her up. Try to get her ignoring your friends. Tell the friends to ignore her. And when she does ignore them, reward it. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the closest living relative to the Tyrannosaurus rex? It's the chicken. Yes, chickens are the closest living relative to the T-Rex. Amazingly. A chance find actually allowed researchers to make this discovery. Now, in 2003, scientists Jack Horner and Mary Schweitzer discovered some unfossilized material inside a T-Rex bone by a combination of really, well, luck and uh, just a keen eye. Now, they had found a giant femur out of a remote Montana field site. Now, they had to break this bone in half in order to fit it into their helicopter. Had they had a larger helicopter, we actually might have never known about this discovery. Now, they didn't discover any DNA inside the bone, but rather they found collagen, a structural protein that appears in slightly different forms in many animals. Now, they compared these results to 21 different living animals, and they found that chickens were the most closely related, followed by ostriches, and then next the alligator. Now, this actually helped move us toward the understanding of dinosaurs being very closely related to birds and a little less closer than we thought to reptiles. So is it the chicken or the egg? Neither. It's the dinosaur. That's gonna wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Be sure you click that subscribe or that follow button. And hey, if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating. Find me on Instagram at speak a dogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.